Welcome to Asia Rising, the podcast from La Trobe Asia, where we discuss news, views and general happenings from Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. Many countries have problems when it comes to gender equality, but in Japan, it's quite pronounced. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe says that he wants to change this and to put women to work to help make up for the country's shrinking population. The program's dubbed Womenomics, but there is little sign of actual progress. Of particular note, Japan has the lowest percentage of women's political representation in the industrialized world. Here to talk about the glass ceiling in Japan and why it's so hard to crack is Dr. Emma Dalton, Japanese lecturer in Global and Language Studies in the School of Global, Urban and Social Studies at RMIT. With regards to the representation of women in politics, Japan ranks last in the industrialized world. 12% of national legislative assembly seats are occupied by women. And in terms of other sort of indices of empowerment, Japan ranks at the moment 101st out of 145 countries in the Global Gender Gap Index. Mm. So just as a point of comparison, Australia ranks 36 in those same rankings. Now, the Global Gender Gap Index measures the gap between men and women in four spheres of society, economic participation opportunity, health and survival, educational attainment and political empowerment. So Japan does reasonably well in health and survival, but it falls down when it comes to economic participation and political empowerment. Yeah, yeah. And as far as averages go, you say that they're at 12%. So what is, say, the global average for... Global average, I think, is about 22, between 22 and 25%. Yeah. And the average in Asia is... I think 18%. Mm. So by all measures, Japan is doing quite badly. <laughs> and considering the country and the way that it puts itself forward, you would hope that it would be a lot further along than, than what it is, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, you know, Japan is a very, it's one of those very advanced, um, industrialised democracies, very wealthy, you know, affluent, mm. although the economy is not doing so well at the moment. It is still a very affluent country. It's still the third biggest economy in the world, I think, after the US and China. So it is a bit of an anomaly in the way that gender equality is still quite a serious and deeply embedded problem. Yeah. So is this a, uh, just a politics problem? You say it's all the way through, uh, except yes. for health. Well, yeah. Economic empowerment of women in Japan is also a bit of a problem. <clears throat> so, for example, the pay gap between men and women is 27%. Amongst OECD countries, it's the second worst after Korea. The workforce participation rate in Japan is is increasing, but uh, there still seems to be a pattern whereby women drop out of the workforce once they've had kids and find it very difficult to go back. And what that means, of course, is financial independence Mm. is something quite difficult for Japanese women. They're pushed into the periphery of the labour market, and then if they drop out of the workforce, then that, that makes it even worse. Yeah, yeah. A lot of countries have have infrastructure in place and policies to help women back into the workforce. So this is something that's lacking in Japan, is it? Yeah. So I guess women drop out of the workforce for cultural and structural reasons. Right. So Japan is very much a gender-segregated society when it comes to you know the gender division of labour, especially at home. The overwhelming responsibility of care work, so looking after children, looking after parents doing the cooking, cleaning, shopping, all that sort of stuff, still falls on women in Japan. So dropping out of the workforce in that respect is a culturally normative thing to do, but the lack of structural support makes that even easier choice for women to drop out. So, for example, what's happening in Tokyo in particular is there's a lack of 
childcare places for infants. And this means that women basically, even if they want to continue working, find that they can't. And there's also culture in many workplaces is one that is antagonistic towards people who want to go home early. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, women who want to go home and cook dinner at, say, five o'clock instead of seven or eight. Mm, mm. So the workplace culture in most places in Japan, it's not very friendly to people who want to not devote most of their time to work. Yeah. Usually in Japan, it's women. So the work-life balance isn't there to start with, but it would extend to things, I suppose, like um, a pay gap. Is that pronounced in, in Japanese business and culture? The gendered pay gap in Japan, yeah, 27%. Yeah. So women are earning 73 yen to the 100 yen that Japanese men are earning. For the same positions. Well, see, there are multiple reasons for why the gender gap occurs. And one of the reasons is that women are concentrated in low-paid and part-time and casual work. This is a massive contributor Mm. to the gender pay gap. The workplace is gender segregated, both horizontally and vertically. So there aren't many women found in uh, management positions, but also women are segregated into areas that don't pay very well. So administrative, clerical, retail, childcare, that sort of work. Whereas you'll find the jobs that pay well, engineering, the professions, those sorts of things, are heavily male dominated. Yeah. So, yeah, both horizontal and vertical segregation contributes to that gender wage gap, Mm. as well as women actually drop out of the workforce and then go back to even more menial jobs. Mm. So, the Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe, likes to see himself as kind of a progressive man in in some ways. So, is the government making any steps to try and even out this imbalance? Yeah. So, um, I don't know if you've heard of the term womenomics. (laughs) Is that, is that an Abe term? Well, no, but it's something that Abe is promoting. So you've probably heard of Abenomics. Yeah, he's with, very proud of that term. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> apparently he didn't coin it. Apparently he just, I don't know. Some, made the most of it. Yeah, yeah. Someone <laughs> maybe in the media coined it and he grabbed a hold of it. So Womenomics is part of Abenomics, this economic policy package to ignite or reignite the Japanese economy. And Womenomics involves basically getting more women participating into the workforce and participating more um, continuously Mm. and at higher levels. For example, the corporate sector is beginning to introduce gender targets. For example, 20% of mid-level managers should be women by the year 2020. Okay. So there are lots of targets being put into place. There have been many policy promises to increase childcare centres. Many people have welcomed womenomics. Look, it's very important to empower women through the economic participation for sure. But a lot of womenomics is targeting women who can afford to work like men in Japan. What that means is working 10, 11 hour days, being prepared to move across the country when you get promoted or when you have a transfer. And this is, as I've mentioned, because of the cultural norms and because of the way that men and women operate within the household, within the family, this is impossible. Both women and men can't work like that Mm. if they want to have a private life, raise kids, care for their families, etc. Many people have been critical of womenomics and said, look, it seems to be only targeting elite women. What about the rest of the women? Mm. What about the women, for example, who are working part-time in the supermarket? How do these policies help them? And most of the policies seem to be a little bit uh, separated from those type of women. 
these expectations on, on women in management positions and, and sacrifices that they have to do to, in order to further their career would kind of go towards explaining why there are so few women in politics. So if Abe was serious about addressing this kind of imbalance, uh, what's been going on in his own backyard, in his own mm. field? Yeah, yeah, very good question. Yeah. So another criticism of womenomics is that it's all about the economy. It's not about gender equality. It's about boosting the GDP. Even though it appears to be very progressive, yay, let's go gender equality, what's behind it is actually a desire to boost the Japanese economy. So getting back to your question about what Abe is doing with regards to the lack of women in politics, the answer is practically nothing because, of course, putting more women in politics doesn't necessarily help the economy. So there have been women's groups in Japan pushing for gender quotas in Japanese politics for decades. These calls have largely fallen on deaf ears, particularly with the ruling LDP. Now, gender quotas are not the silver bullet. You know, they're not the the only answer to increasing the number of women in politics. But in Japan's case, given the enduring problem with the lack of women in politics, many women's groups say, look, we need to do something and this is best option so far. Yeah, yeah. There are... um the number of influential women in, in Japanese politics, you can count on one hand with a couple of fingers left over. <laughs> um, so can you tell me about those examples and whether you think that their token, I suppose, is, is one way to put it? How do you um, see those roles in yeah. politics? So in 2016, three women were elected to politically powerful positions in Japan, which raised a lot of interest in and hope that the political you know, glass ceiling was about to be smashed or on the way anyway. So, for example, Koike Yuriko became the governor of Tokyo, first woman to be governor of Tokyo. She is by no means a token. She's been in politics since, I think, the early 90s. And before that, she had a career in journalist and news anchor, very politically experienced and very popular with the voters. She is a conservative. However, she did make a point of talking about improving Tokyo for women. Mm. So improving the number of childcare facilities, which is a huge issue in Tokyo. Like people have taken to the streets and protested in Tokyo because there aren't enough childcare positions. In terms of empowering women in the neoliberal sense of, you know, getting them to work and empowering them financially, economically, Koike Yuriko is supportive of that sort of thing. Another woman who came to power in 2016, Inada Tomomi, she was elected as defence minister at the national level of politics. Now, she comes from a law background. I wouldn't call her tokenistic either. She is one of Abe's close allies. She's very hawkish, very nationalistic. Mm. Abe's appointment of Inada Tomomi says more about his alliance with her um, than it says about putting women in positions of power. So both Abe and Inada are very hawkish, very conservative, and work together well, I think. Um, and who was the third woman? Denho. Denho has now become the leader of the opposition party, the Democratic Party. That's quite significant. It was in power for three years, between 2009 and 2012, I think. Since the Fukushima triple disaster, the Democratic Party has lost a lot of support, has become even weaker than it was, which is a shame. So Renho has 
her work cut out for her. Mm. So those are the, the three notable women in power that you can point to in Japanese politics. Mm. So it, it sounds like there's so far to go in that kind of field and in just the, the glass ceiling in Japan in general. Mm. I'm assuming here, but they would have had to have made a lot of sacrifices in their personal life to get to the point where they are now. They probably all had very supportive families. That's mm. one thing that women in politics often point to, not just in the sense of saying, yes, we support you, but actually doing stuff for you, yeah, yeah. like doing the physical things that we need to do every day. I've heard at least two women politicians say to me, most politicians have wives. I wish I had a wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the key barriers to women making it in the world of politics. It's probably the same in Australia as well, in any sort of country. Politics is one of those careers where it's a huge sacrifice and you need someone in your corner. So do you expect there to be any improvement in the near future then? Uh, improvement for women in general in yeah, Japan? Yeah. I guess what I haven't really mentioned is the increasing bipolarization of workers in Japan. So you've got the core workforce who are full-time employees with all the benefits of full-time employees. And then you've got the non-regular workers. Mm. And the increase in non-regular workers in Japan over the last 10, 20 years has been sort of the defining characteristic of the Japanese labour market. And that has affected women more than it's affected men. Yeah. So, for example, there's one statistic that's quite startling. Since the Equal Employment Opportunity Law was implemented in 1986, in the decade after that, 96% of the increase in jobs for women were part-time jobs. Right, yeah. More than half of women workers work in non-regular work. This means they don't have access to benefits. Uh, they can't take maternity leave. They're often paid far less. And unless something shifts here, it'll be difficult for women's economic status to improve a lot. It might improve at the margins. All I can see is a further bipolarization of Japanese women occurring. Mm. So those women who are willing and able to take part in the labor practices and workplace culture that is very masculinized will benefit from womenomics and the women who aren't, which is the overwhelming majority of women, will not. And with regards to women in politics, it seems to me that womenomics is quite divorced from what's happening in politics. And the um, lack of women in politics has been so long and so enduring. I think the women's groups who are fighting for things like gender quotas, I think they're onto something. They're impatient. They've yeah. had enough. They yeah. don't want to wait anymore. Japanese lecturer in Global and Language Studies in the School of Global, Urban and Social Studies at RMIT. And you've been listening to Asia Rising. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And reviews are appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter. Emma is at EmmaDal1977. And we are at Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith, and thanks for listening.